Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Amen. Thank you so much. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. And while you're turning, I will just uh, quote uh, John, who wrote in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So I've got two used tissues and one dry. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. <laughs> God is good, amen? amen? Acts chapter 20, I, as you're turning, I also want to ask you to pray for Debbie Amati, who continues to battle COVID. And uh, I know that Jamie Stanley uh, is dealing with it. Praise the Lord that uh, she told me it's very mild. Uh, so praise the Lord for that. And uh, we look forward to seeing her soon. It's good to see Rachel down uh, from uh, Clark Summit and uh, her studies there. Acts chapter 20. I want to dig right in this morning. We are continuing and this will probably be uh, the last uh, message in the Carpe Diem series. Um, but I want us to uh, conclude by looking, we've looked a lot at what David said, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but I want to see what the Bible has to say to us this morning. Look in verse number 17 and following. This is right after Paul has called the leaders from Ephesus, and um, it says here from Miletus, he sent to the Ephesus and called the elders of the church, verse number 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know... From the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. And not only publicly, he says, I've showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul says, hey, I've done this in public and I've done this in private. And notice he says in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... He says, and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that should befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, he says, behold, I know that you all among who I've gone preaching the kingdom of God. What a, what a verse. He says, I know. He says, I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take to you to record this day that I am pure. I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to dig into your word. We thank you for giving us your word. God, this roadmap for life, this, 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 this revelation from you, Lord, where we can find the answers that we so desperately need. God, I pray that today that you'll give me clarity of thought, clarity of heart, and clarity of speech. Lord, as I communicate your message to your people today, Lord, I do pray that if there's somebody here in this room, somebody watching at home or somewhere else, maybe they're watching on a phone or their computer, God, I pray that today that if there's somebody that doesn't have a relationship with you through your son Jesus, that Lord, today would be the day that you would, as was prayed, that you would open up the eyes of their understanding that they might see their need of a Savior and that they might call out, upon the name of the Lord to forgive them of their sin and to come into their life 
to begin that life transformation, that change from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us over these next few moments of time, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. We'll be careful to give you the honor and all the glory, for you so richly deserve it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house. Look with me at verse number 28. I didn't read verse 28, and the guys probably don't have it ready, but I want you to see here, Paul says in verse 28, he says, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God in verse 27. And then in 28, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So in other words, he gets done talking about what he's done, and then he basically says, Hey, guess what? You may not see my face anymore, but you better keep on keeping on. You got to keep on keeping on battlefield. We got to keep on trucking. We got to keep on moving for the Lord. You know, to be sure, I can tell you this life, this life, <laughs> you know, getting old ain't for sissies. This life, this race, these opportunities that you and I have each and every day to seize the opportunity, to seize the day, to carpe diem. Oh, my friends, it can be difficult. Anybody had a difficult week? Come on, let's just be honest. Let's have a little moment of honesty. And anybody had a, let's see, let's do the opposite. Anybody had a good week this week? Amen. Hey, I asked anybody have a difficult week. Has anybody had a difficult morning? Have you ever woken up on the wrong side of bed on Sunday and said, no, uh-uh, Jesus, not today? Oh, listen, life can be difficult, but it's not impossible. And the Apostle Paul, he is someone who actually came to know, and, and almost, it's incredible, but in almost some ways, he came to expect. He came to expect pain. He came to expect persecution in his life throughout his journey. And he was warned along the way. If you read Scripture long enough, you'll see that Paul, he's actually warned along the way. It's, they like tell him, hey, man, escape. They're coming after you. But Paul was not someone to run away from a challenge. In fact, you can read uh, one passage on his first missionary journey. They stone him, and they leave him for dead. And you know what Paul does? You know what Paul does? He goes right back to the cities, right back to the places where the people were attacking him, where the people wanted to kill him. And you know what? The reason he went back, he wanted to check on those churches that had been established. He was all about Jesus and all about others. You see, Paul was a man who exercised faith. He was a man who willingly moved forward. He was a man who sought to seize every opportunity that was given to him. And the opportunities that he looked for were to share Jesus with people. And that's why he could say, look back in our verse, that's why he could say in verse number 24 of our text, and by the way, this will be our main focus, but this is why he could say, none of these things move me. And you say, well, what does he mean none of these things move me? Well, if you look at verse number 22, he says, listen, he says, I, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. And he says, I have no idea. I have no clue what's going to take place in Jerusalem. He said, but none of these things move me. You see, Paul wasn't anxious. He was, as the Bible says, he was anxious for nothing. He was ready to go. He was ready to be offered up. He was being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And there was a calmness. By the way, when we walk in the Spirit, you know, there's a battle going on. The battle inside says we want to walk by the flesh. Then we have a, the ideology or the desire to walk in the Spirit. Can I tell you that when you walk in the Spirit, you're going to have a great calmness in your heart. When you walk according to the Word of God, you're going to have a great calmness in your heart. A lot of people say, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with fear. Man, can I just encourage you? Walk with Jesus. Walk, keep your eyes on Jesus. And the things of this world, as the song says, will grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of His grace. In verse number 24, look at our main text. It says, he says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. There's three phrases that I think will be helpful for each and every one of us today. Colby, Taylor, these phrases are going to be helpful for you. It doesn't matter whether you're here staying in Northern Virginia or going to Missouri or you're going to Kalamazoo. It doesn't matter what you do. These three phrases will help you. They will help me to keep on keeping on. And here they are. Number one, he said, my life. Number two, 
He said, my course. And number three, he focused on the or my ministry which had been given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the first phrase. Paul said, neither count I my life dear unto myself. In other words, Paul was saying, hey, listen, I'm thankful for the life I have, but I don't count my life so precious. My life is not more valuable than Jesus. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because, see, we are people who think our life is is more important than anybody else's life. And sometimes that's why we have friction with other people. You see, I want what I want. I want what I want right now. And sometimes I will acquiesce and let you have what you want. But the reality is what I desire to have many times becomes most important. But what Paul is saying, he says, neither can I my life dear unto myself. You see, to the Apostle Paul, the thing that was most important was his Savior and the opportunity he had to serve him. Oh, listen, oddly enough, it's kind of consistent with Scripture because this is exactly what Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 8. In fact, all the Gospels share this exact verse, but I just chose, just so you know, you can go to every Gospel record and find this exact same or a variation of this exact verse. But in Mark chapter 8, in verse number 35, this is what Jesus is recorded as saying. He said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Watch this. He says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. He said it this way in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. You remember he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Folks, The good news is our life is a gift from the Lord our God. Amen? Amen. Paul understood this, and Paul recognized it. He understood that his life and his body were not his own. He understood, just like you and me, that he had been bought with a price. And here's what Paul's motto was, just like he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are the Lord's. That can be difficult, but it's not impossible When we walk with Jesus, I think about earlier, a few pages back, you can look at it if you want. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to the men of Athens and he's given his Mars Hill address. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 28, he shared the truth that it is Jesus. It is in him, speaking of Jesus, that we live. It is in Jesus that we move. It is in Jesus that we have our being. And see, when we think about that and we live by that motto first and foremost, then we're going to be able to keep on keeping on. You see, even before we were born, Jeremiah 1.5 reminds us that God knew us. Isn't that crazy? There's a whole debate about when life begins. And in Jeremiah, the Bible tells me that God knew me before I was even formed. Hold on. Have you ever had a circuit breaker moment? See, that's what faith is all about. You can, you can poke holes. Listen, I've seen all the people like, well, I'm going to poke a hole in that verse. I'm going to poke a hole in this verse. Well, poke all you want. It doesn't change the word of God one bit. And, and if you want to really have an eye-opening experience, start looking at science. Because the more you look at science the more it starts to prove the Word of God. So many smart people. Gosh. I'm not one of them, but there are a lot of smart people. But you know, I'm reminded that the wisdom of the world... Have you ever read that passage? The Bible says the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. we got to be careful who we listen to. I wish, I wish that we would all start listening more and more to what God has to say and less and less to what some news media or some other outlet has to say. You know, we'd do a better job of living for Jesus if we'd start listening to what Jesus has to say rather than some news anchor. I know, that's a different message. After all, we have cookies to to get to. (laughs) I mean, Colby's crazy talking about a three-hour message. I mean, that's actually a good idea, but not for today. You see, our talents, our abilities, our interests, our strengths, and even our weaknesses. Anybody got some weaknesses today? 
Do you know that your weakness, here's a, here's a real people pleaser. Your weaknesses are all a part of God's plan. You see where I'm weak? He is strong. When I am weak, sometimes he has strengthened my wife to come alongside of me to say, get up, let's go. Because she's strong in that area. <laughs> as believers, as believers, here's, think about this. As believers, we have been given physical life as well as spiritual life. Hold on. It is God who made us, and it is God who saved us, lest you think you saved yourself, lest you think that your good looks saved you, or you earned it, or you bought it, or you did something else. You served your way to heaven. I got news for you. The only way that you are headed to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's why he said he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And guess what? I didn't write it. It's God's word, not Greg's word. And it's a good thing it's God's word. Because Greg's word will mess you up. <laughs> Carpe diem. Carpe diem simply says, it's, it's like, oh, what gimmick does he have now? It's not a gimmick. It simply says, when you think about the Latin idea of carpe diem, to seize the day or to seize the opportunity, it simply says that no matter what we're dealing with, whether we're dealing with the gospel, whether we're dealing with our relationship with God, whether we're serving one another, whether we are keeping on and keeping on for Jesus' honor and glory, it just says that we ought to make the most of every opportunity we have. You want to be generous? Carpe diem. You want to share the gospel? Carpe diem. You want to fall more in love with Jesus? Carpe diem. That's all it means. And the Apostle Paul knew this. He didn't hoard his life as a gift for himself. Have you ever met hoarders? I won't comment. Have you ever met somebody that hoards everything they can get? I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. The Apostle Paul wasn't hoarding his life as some kind of gift that he could hold on to for himself. He understood that his life and his ministry and his salvation had been given to him. Therefore, he was interested in making most, making the most of the one who gave it to him. Oh, what a Savior. He said, I count not my life dear unto myself. Folks, it was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Oh, my friends, we got to get a grip on this. The only way to have abundant life is to have it with Jesus. I've tried. I did the whole without Jesus thing. I was an angry teenage boy. Quietly angry. Again, I think about, guys, throw up that Mark chapter 8 verse. I think about the principle from Mark 8, 35 that says, whatever life we try to keep, put it in this perspective, whatever life we try to keep, that's the life we lose. But whatever life we invest for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel Whatever life we try to keep for ourselves, whatever life we try to hoard, whatever things we're trying to hold on to, those are the things that are going to be gone. But whatever life we live for Jesus and the things of Jesus, those are the things that no doubt we will possess forever. Someone has said that selfish people, someone has said this, that selfish people are always unhappy people. They're always unhappy because they're always trying to get more, more, more. It's the myth of more. If I just have more of this or I have more of that, and instead they fail to enjoy everything that they have. And so beware of selfishness. As we've already read in our text, Paul was saying to these leaders of Ephesus, he was saying, it's clear, look, he says, I wasn't living my life for me. I wasn't living my life for what I could get. I was living my life for Jesus and the life that he could give. Look at verse number 18. He says, and when they were come to him, he said unto him, you know that from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and many tears and temptations which befell me and lying way to the Jews. And he says, and how I kept back nothing but was profitable for you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Everything that Paul did, and he said, guess what? I don't even 
even have to tell you about it because you guys witnessed it. Can I tell you something? If you're living for Jesus, you don't have to tell people about it. Well, I'm a Christian and I'm just living for Jesus. No, sir, I got some, got some good news for you. Just live for Jesus and they'll, they'll see the difference. You don't have to put a sign on your head. You don't have to get a nine-foot cross and drag it down the road like you're, like you're carrying. No, just live for Jesus. Follow his word and his command. People will understand who you are connected to. To Paul, his life was not the dearest or most important thing to him. Jesus was. In fact, that's why he was able to say to the church and the believers in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 20, here's what he declared. He said, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead in Christ. That's what he said to the church at Coloss. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh yes, the predominant feature in Paul's life was Jesus Christ. That's why Paul was able to keep on keeping on. He was able to keep on going no matter whether he was beaten, no matter whether he was locked in chains, stoned, shipwrecked, being robbed, hungry, thirsty. It didn't matter. And you can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning in verse number 23 and following to find all about that. He just kept on going. 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 Hold on. You said, Pastor, do you have a problem? No. He just kept on going. Because he said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. It's not the most valuable thing. Jesus is. And folks, we can keep on keeping on when Jesus is the most valuable thing to us. It was C.T. Studd who gives a great illustration of investing our lives in Jesus and others in his poem. Now, you may have heard pastors <laughs> quote many times his statement, but I want to read this poem, and it takes me two minutes to read it, so bear with me. You say, how do you know? Because I timed myself. The poem is entitled, Only One Life, by C.T. Studd, and here's what he wrote. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It was Paul's desire to make the very most of his life. He said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. It's not all about me. My life is not all about me. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. He 
wanted to make use of that new life that he had in Jesus. In my Bible, I've shared this before, but in my Bible, this is my duct-taped Bible. Say what you will, but it goes with me, and it stays with me. You say, Don't, couldn't your wife get you a new Bible? I mean, are you really struggling that much that she couldn't get you a new Bible? No, she's gotten me a couple of new Bibles. They sit on my desk. This is my go-to, and under verse number 24... Years ago, I wrote these words. Survival was not the issue for Paul. He said, neither count I my life dear to myself. Survival was not the issue for Paul. Jesus and his message were the issue for Paul. Look back with me at verse 24. It says, neither I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy. The second phrase is, this Paul referencing his course, and this word course literally means or suggests a race that Paul was running. And as you may or may not know, Paul, Paul often used athletic illustrations uh, to communicate his messages along the way and to depict one's spiritual journey. And, and from the words from this passage and other passages, it's clear that Paul obviously had witnessed these athletic games in various Roman or Greek cities uh, throughout the world at that time. And just as no one could compete in the Greek games unless they were a citizen of that region or that country, no one can run in the race of a Christian unless they're a child of God. The getting in point, the starting point, the starting line is salvation. Listen, and this is what Jesus talked about. He's talking about getting in the race in Matthew chapter 7. A lot of times we don't look at it this way, but he talks about getting in the race. Jesus does in Matthew chapter 7 in verse number 13 and 14 when he says, Enter ye in the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth destruction, and many there be which go therein at. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. At salvation, look at this beautiful picture. At salvation, Jesus takes us off of the broad road that is leading to destruction and puts us on the straight and narrow path that is leading to everlasting life. It's like I say all the time, I'm headed for heaven and I can't help it. Praise the Lord. By the way, when he puts us on the narrow road, <laughs> you ever watched uh, these track meets? And they all get down in the stance, and they have these, these newfangled things now, contraptions that keep their feet up and everything, and they get down. Do you know that each runner is running in what? Their own what? This is a sidebar message. We'd do better if we just stay in our own lane sometimes. At salvation, Jesus assigns me a lane. My lane is not to dictate to my wife how she runs in her lane. Hey, girl, you better get some better shoes. You better, you better, get, you better get some running gear, whatever. No, my, my job, I can encourage her and I can help encourage her, but my job is to be paying attention to the lane and the race that God has put me on. And this is what Paul understood. He says, listen, he says, uh, he says, I want to finish my course with joy. I want to finish the race that has been given to me with joy. In fact, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 really quickly. Philippians chapter 3. This is another passage where we find Paul using uh, race terminology uh, again. And when you get to Philippians chapter 3, I want you to look at the very first verse of Philippians chapter 3. When you get there, you know, do me a favor. Say amen. amen. All right. Even if you're not there, say amen. All right, good. <laughs> when you get to look at verse number one, look at, what, look at what he writes to the church at Philippi. He says, finally, my brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, he says, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Look at verse two. He says, beware of dogs. He's telling them, he's starting to ramp up race terminology. He says, beware of dogs. And what he's talking about is Judaism and this, this ideology or this teaching of works and ceremonies and the law. And then he says, beware of evil workers. Anybody work with some evil workers? <laughs> yeah, just keep your hand down. Okay. 
right? He says, beware of evil workers. And what he was talking about is those who would seek to undermine or to subvert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, beware of the concision. Now, the concision are those people who, let me put this, the concision were those people who were more concerned about the circumcision of flesh than they were the circumcision of the heart. They were more concerned about the outward appearance of their, watch this, religiosity than they were about the relationship that they needed to have with Jesus. Now watch what he says going on. After verse number 2, go to verse number 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. In other words, what he says, we are the ones whose hearts have been circumcised. We are the ones whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. Notice what he says, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, watch the last words, and have no confidence in what? Can I tell you, the flesh will fail you. I've tried to do it many times. I've tried to work up and muster up enough strength to do something. And when you try to do things for the Lord in the flesh, it will bring you down. That's why we must walk in the Spirit. Paul then refers, look there, and I'm not going to read it, but he refers to the race that he had been running past tense. In verses 4 through 6, he speaks about his confidence in the flesh in the past. He speaks of his circumcision, his heritage, uh, uh, his, his life as a Pharisee, his zeal. And also, he talks about even his persecution of the church. But if you go on and look at verse number 7, 8, and 9, notice what he's, he declares from me. He says, but what things were gained to me as I was running my race, as I thought I was headed on the right road. Watch, he said, those things that were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul was all about running his course and his race for Jesus Christ. And then those infamous words that you may be more familiar with Look down at verse 13 and 14. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Sometimes we got to forget the things that are behind. Have you ever held a grudge? Let's be honest. Anybody ever held a grudge? Have you ever said you forgave somebody and then you keep on bringing it up? Like it's some kind of poker chip. Well, I forgave you back there. Well, just keep on forgiving. Isn't that what Jesus says? Huh. Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind. My, my pedigree my circumcision, my zeal, my persecution of the church, all the things that I thought were on the, got me headed on the right road. I was Mr. Religiosity. I was a big name in the persecution of the church. I forget all of those things because those things were waste, wasted. He said, I forget those things. But notice what he also said. He said, and reaching forth unto, he said, reaching forth unto those things which are before in verse number 13, what he's saying, in verse number 13, he's actually saying, I'm not finished yet. I forget those things that are behind, but I'm constantly reaching forward. I'm constantly moving forward to those things which are before. My race is not over. I'm still running. I'm still in the lane that God has assigned me. And guess what? Sometimes that lane makes me go this way. Sometimes that lane makes me go over to Philippi. Sometimes that lane causes me to go to Ephesus. Sometimes that lane takes me to Corinth. Sometimes that lane takes me to Springfield. Sometimes that lane takes me to Warrington. He said, but guess what? I'm going to keep on running my course. Because I have not finished my race. And then in verse number 14, he says these infamous words. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that he was in a race, and so are we. And here's what I want to tell you, and this may be good news, and it may be bad news. Every race that I've run, from childhood, I don't run many physical races anymore. I've gotten slower as I've gotten older. I used to be pretty fast in my own mind. <laughs> in my own mind. <laughs> but here's what I know. 
Whenever I ran a race, there was a beginning. When you cross the tape, there's an end. I don't know why everybody sticks their chest out when they're getting through. Maybe it's like, thank you, Jesus, I made it. You know, one of these days, sooner than later, I'm going to cross that finish line. Jesus could be like, easy, take it easy. I'm like, can you imagine this face coming across the line? Yes! And Jesus like, over there. I'm like, over there, take a breather. I'm like, I'm out of breath. I want to see everyone. Where's everybody at? Take it easy. You got plenty of time. Whew, what a day that's going to be. The writer of Hebrews, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 1 and 2, he said, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run, he said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, the only way to stay on course, the only way to set aside the sin which so easily besets us, and the only way to keep on keeping on in 2022 is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul knew. He said, listen, I don't count my life dear to me so that I might finish my course with joy. I'm going to keep on looking at Jesus. I'm going to keep on focusing on him. I'm going to keep on living according to his word, his way, and his will. And guess what? Soon and very soon, I'm going to break through and I will see him face to face. Woo, I get excited about that. And the reality is you and I can keep on keeping on when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I know the follow-up question is, well, pastor, how do we do that? It's difficult. Can I just say very simply, like, like you're going to be like, oh, let me get ready to write it down. It's a matter of proper diet and exercise. It's a matter of proper diet and exercise. Just as physically, we need a proper diet, proper training, and proper rest to run the races of life. Spiritually, the same thing is true. We need to feed upon the Word of God, exercise faith, spend time in prayer, and then learn to rest and trust in the Lord to give you the strength, to give you the wisdom, to give you the wherewithal to enable you to run the race. Back in verse 24 of our text, we can detect Paul's great ambition. He says, I want to finish my course with joy. He wanted to finish the course that had been assigned to him, not somebody else's race. He didn't want to finish Timothy's race. He didn't want to finish Luke or anybody else's race. He wanted to finish his own race. He wasn't trying to compete or measure his success along somebody else's. That's the mistake a lot of Christians do and a lot of churches do. Well, brother, uh, how many is your church running? Exactly how many God wants it to run. <laughs> it's exactly as many as God wants it. Well, brother, <laughs> yeah, we're running. We're running 2,000, you know. Got 12 services over four days. We're running 2,000. Okay, so let me break that down. You got 12 services of 75 people. Okay. <laughs> what? We play the comparison game all the time. We got enough to deal with right here. Me, myself, and I. Take care of ourselves, and then you'll be ready to take care of other people. We have our own race. And, and what we do many times is we compare ourselves with someone. Well, you know, that person is such this. That person is such this. That's how God has gifted that person. That's the lane that God has put that person in. Just serve the Lord with gladness and do what he's gifted you to do. Paul wasn't trying to compete with anybody or measure his success or even his failures against other people. He wasn't looking backwards where he had been. He wasn't fearful of what was to come. 
I got news for you. It can be really fearful to think about what's to come. We're living in a world filled with war right now, rumors of war, all kind of things going on, and we can get fearful real quick if we don't turn off the TV. But Paul understood that God had not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Paul said, guess what? I'm going to finish my course with joy. Yes, they've tried to kill me. Yes, they've locked me up. Yes, they've shipwrecked me. Yes, they've beaten me and left for dead. Yes, I've been hungry. Yes, I've been thirsty. But yes, through it all, I have not counted my life more important than it needed to be. And through it all, I kept on running the race that God assigned me to run. And if he can do it, I can do it. Because guess what? He was not supernatural. He was born of his mother just like you and I. I might get fired up. Paul's eyes were fixed on Jesus because his goal was to finish well. And we know from Scripture that's exactly what he did. I preached a message about a year, maybe a year and a half ago from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is where he tells Timothy, he says, I'm ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul said, I've fought a good fight. My course or my race is coming to an end. And I kept the faith through it all. One last time, look at verse 24. We'll wrap it up. Verse 24, Paul says, But none of these things move me, neither I count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see, Paul recognized his physical and spiritual life were gifts from God. He understood that his race or his course was assigned by God. And lastly, here in verse 24, he had been specifically given a ministry to fulfill. Everything had been given to him. His life was given to him. The race or course was given to him. And his ministry was given to him. It was nothing that he gained on his own. It was all granted and given and assigned to him by God. And whether we want to recognize it or not, every one of us have a ministry to fulfill. You may be sitting there and you say, well, I don't really know what my ministry is. Can I tell you until you start exercising? You, and here's the thing. You try, try things out. Like, hey, listen, I'll be honest with you. I've served in children's ministry and I can be goofy for about a minute with children, right? But I realized a long time ago, that's probably not my strong suit. They kind of end up looking at me like, I went to teen camps. Man, I'll jump. Jason about busted my leg once and for all. We were racing, remember that? Racing on an obstacle course on the, uh, what do they call those, inflatables at camp years ago and ended up going to the hospital. I realized, now nah, I'm out of the teen ministry. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this stuff, right? Then I got out in Missouri, was the associate pastor, and realized probably maybe my sweet spot was senior saints, right? Started to get there. You're not going to really realize your ministry, so to speak, if you don't get active, if you don't try something. You may try children's ministry, and you might be like, uh, I need to take a back pedal, and we can send you over to middle school. You know, it's kind of work your way through. And if you fail all of those, listen, we always know that you can change diapers, all right? Right? We can train you. We have the technology. Some of you, I'm going to be real specific. Some of you need to get up here and start singing again. Some of you need to sing that have never sung up here. I hear people singing on Wednesday night. It blows my mind away. People singing parts like it's their day job. And we don't even have a piano playing for most of the time on Wednesday night. We're just singing acapulco. And, people, and people, people are singing out. It's like, what's going on? This is a wonderful choir. And guess what? We, we've got more chairs we can put up here. You say, well, it looks pretty full today. We got more. We, we bought extra chairs for you. 
You have to get involved to see what your ministry is. And before telling Timothy, think about this, before telling Timothy back in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that he was ready to be offered, that he had finished his course, he had fought a good fight and all of these things on and on, here's what Paul said to Timothy. Right before he tells him that he's ready to depart, this is what he tells him in verse 5 of chapter 4. He says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of evangelists. He says, Timothy, guess what? These are the things that I've been through. These are the times that I've suffered. And get ready for it. It's coming your way. But notice the last thing he says. He says, make full proof of thy ministry. In other words, fulfill the ministry that God has given you just as I have fulfilled the ministry God gave me. Oh, my friends, the beauty of the Christian life is that every blood-bought Christian, every blood-bought child of God has a special ministry assignment that no one, watch it, that no one can do except you. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. No one can do your ministry except you, except you, 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 and on and on. God has gifted each and every one of us for that. And so the question is, are we fulfilling the ministry God has given us? And if so, great. But if not, I want to encourage you today, seize the day. Buy up the opportunity to fulfill the ministry you've been given. As a great missionary, I put in my notes, as a great missionary and ambassador for God, Paul's ministry share, uh, uh, centered on sharing the gospel of God's grace. And do you know, I got news for you, every one of us have that same ministry as well. Whether you, whether you want to accept that ministry, you have that ministry as part of your DNA to share the gospel of the grace of God. One of the most beautiful things about God's grace to the world and the forgiving of sin and imputing of his righteousness is that they can't deserve it, just like I can't deserve it. They can't buy it. They can't earn it. Grace is free. It's unmerited favor. That means that I don't deserve it. But I have a God who says, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to give it to you. And so today, listen, how's it going? How's it going with you? Are you keeping on? Are you doing what you need to do? Because I look at Paul's life and I say, how was this guy able to keep on keeping on in the midst of all the things that he faced? And the reality was three simple thoughts. He realized that his life physically and spiritually were gifts to him given by God. Secondly, he understood that his course or his race had been specifically designed for him and that his job was to keep his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, he recognized that his ministry was his and his alone. And so he set out to do it. I want to ask one final question. Maybe you're here. Because Paul told Timothy, I'm ready to be offered. That's a tough question. Are you ready to be offered? Because Paul was ready to be offered. He was ready, if necessary, to sacrifice his life for God's honor and God's great glory. Are you ready to be offered? Because I can tell you, if you don't have Jesus, the answer is no. Not because I'm so smart. Really, it's not because I'm so smart. It's because God's word tells us. God's word tells us that we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, right? But God gives us an opportunity. He says, listen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I tell you, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you have never surrendered your life, you say, surrendered my life, that sounds so significant. It is significant. Not because you surrender your life, but because Jesus paid the price for you to surrender your life. If you've never given your life to Jesus, can I beg you today on this day of days, don't walk out these doors, don't grab a cookie or a bottled water without Jesus. That's the most important thing today. If you've never been saved, you've never realized this gift, I pray that you will turn to Jesus because we do need him every hour. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you've been saved and you say, Pastor, I need to recommit myself. From what I heard from God's word, maybe today as a believer you'd say, Pastor, I, I actually need to recommit myself to, to living my life or seeing my life as a gift. I need to commit myself to running my course or my race according to the race that God has set before me. I need to recommit myself to, to fulfilling the ministry 
that God has given me. And maybe you don't even know the ministry, but you say, God, Pastor, I need to commit myself to figuring out what the ministry is that God has for me. Listen, if everybody sits on the sidelines, it's pretty difficult to win our world with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I pray, wherever you're at on the spectrum, whether you need Jesus, whether you have Jesus, but you're saying, man, I'm not sure I've really ever looked at my life, my race, or my ministry the way Paul did, I pray that you'll do business with the Lord right now as we close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for the songs that we have sung, the time that we've had to be in your word. Lord, as we've looked at Paul's life, as we've seen what you have done in his life through scripture and how he was willing to give it his all, Lord, I'm reminded that we have an opportunity today to seize the moment, to seize the day. Lord, I pray that you will be honored, that you will be glorified in this moment of moments. God, that you will draw our hearts close to thee. Lord, that you'll do a work in our lives that when we turn around and look back at it, we'll understand that the only way that that took place was because of your strength and your power and your might. God, I pray for ones here that may have never trusted Christ. That right now in this moment, maybe they don't understand it all, but they would just simply pray and say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I know you loved me and I know that you died for me. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. Begin that transformation that I might see my life and my journey and the ministry that you only you would give me from a different perspective. Jesus, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying in my place. Maybe that's your prayer here today. You say, Pastor, that was my prayer. If that was your prayer, would you just look at me? I won't get you stand up. I'm not going to have you make a speech or a proclamation today, but just look at me and say, Pastor, I prayed that, and I meant it from the very bottom of my heart. I needed Jesus, and I asked Jesus to forgive me today. If that's your prayer, just look at me. I see you, sir. God bless you. Somebody else. I see you back there, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've, I needed and I need to recommit my life to seeing my life, my ministry, my race, the way that God sees it. Would you pray for me? Would you just look at me? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to see my life, my ministry, and my race the way that Jesus sees it. And I've not done that. I see you. God bless you. Say, pray for me, Pastor, that I would see it from a new perspective today. God bless you. I see you. Somebody else. Say, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. I see you young ladies back there. God bless you as well. Somebody else. I see you, bro. I love you. God bless you, sir. Somebody else. Say, pray for me. I see you back there. Pray for me that I might see my life, my race, and my ministry the way that Jesus sees it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time. We thank you for the decisions that have made today. God, I pray now that you'll bless us as we sing this song of invitation. God, that you'll be honored and that you'll be glorified through it all. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray and for his sake.